p.m. East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello, this is Skylar Ashley filling in for Burl Schwartz. Today on City Pulse on the Air, we're going to break down what's happening here in town through the week and the weekend. If you haven't checked out the paper this week, make sure you hit a rack up before they're all gobbled up. We've got a great story written by Kyle Kaminsky, which explores the world of psychedelic drugs like magic mushrooms and ayahuasca, which may very well become decriminalized here in Michigan if a ballot proposal is approved. It's also got a beautiful illustration by the great local artist Dennis Preston. There's an unfortunate misspelling which I'll leave you to find, but hey, that's show business. Before I forget, later on in the show, we've got just one more interview with a local Lansing legend from reporter and former City Pulse arts and culture editor Audrey Matus. Now, without further ado, let's check out what's happening this weekend. Thursday, Urban Beat in Old Town is hosting a performance by Russ Kendrick Martin, a Michigan-based songwriter who plays multiple instruments. The 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. performance will feature Martin's reporting-inspired music as he is a former broadcast journalist himself. Also on Thursday, the MSU Wind Symphony is presenting the March 4th performance. The concert will take place in the Cobb Great Hall starting at 7.30 p.m. Tickets start at $12. On Friday, the 10-pound fiddle is hosting Chris Matthews and Heather May at the University United Methodist Church in East Lansing. The 7.30 to 10 p.m. show will feature music from two women musicians. Matthews' music is more blues and folk-based, while May has more of a pop sound. On Saturday, the Lansing Coin Club show will be at the East Lansing Hannah Community Center from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. The club always welcomes new members if you want to come check it out. Also on Saturday, the Lansing Public Media Center is hosting a Production 101 class from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's a class for those interested in becoming members of the Media Center. Members have special access to equipment and studios that are available at the center. Registration for the class, which is at the Media Center itself, starts at $50. Also on Saturday, the Jump Off Beat Battle is happening at the Record Lounge from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. The event, hosted by All of the Above Hip Hop Academy, will feature eight returning champions to face off in the musical tournament. The event can be attended in person or online. All attendees will have the chance to vote, along with the four judges, to determine the winning rapper. Again on Saturday, Saturn 5 is performing at Urban Beat from 8pm to 11pm. The music catalog of the space-themed band includes dance-centric and pop tunes. Five band members each have their own roles during the performance that mirrors a flight into space. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Skylar Ashley. I'd like to give a shout out to our arts editor, Chloe Alverson, for compiling the events. As always, you can check out even more stuff to do at LansingCityPulse.com. Click on the event tab up top and you'll have full access to our comprehensive calendar of what's going down in the greater Lansing area. Dr. Sarayin Sangster, age 72, is one of Lansing's most remembered family doctors. She sees her time working at Sparrow as a blessing and continues to view her profession as a means to connect with her greater community. Reporter Audrey Matus spoke with Dr. Saray. Let's check out their conversation. How long have you lived in Lansing? 
Um, well, I was born and raised here, uh, born at Sparrow Hospital. Wow. And then I left at 17. Uh, I went to Howard University, uh, ended up living in uh, the D.C. area probably um, about ten, 9 to 10 years. Um, wow. Then came back to Lansing for medical school at Michigan State. Oh, great. College of Human Medicine. Uh, graduated in 80. And at that time, and it still exists today, MSU, um, your last two years of medical school, you do it in a different community? Yes. Okay. So I was in Saginaw for my last two years and um, uh, met my husband there. Uh, but left there, went to Detroit, and did uh, internship at DMC, Detroit Medical Center. Okay, yep. Um, came back to Saginaw. Work, I had a what's called a, um, a um, public health um, reimbursement. Uh, at that time, you could the government would help you pay for medical school. Okay. If you served in an underserved area. Okay. Okay, as payback. Um, and so I served uh, two years um, to pay the government back in the underserved area of Saginaw. Okay. And uh, ended up living in Saginaw about five years. Had both of my children there, got married there, had both of my children there. And then came, my husband got transferred to Lansing um, working for AT&T. And so I said, hey, okay. go back home, you know, so came back. So total, I was gone about 17, 18 years total. Wow. But um, been back, you know, at least 38 maybe or so. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, what got you into medicine? Do you have doctors in your family or are you the first? I was the first. Um, it's it's an interesting story. When I lived in D.C., I went to Howard um, planning to go into physical therapy. Okay. Um, however, Howard did not have a physical therapy program. Even if it's Howard, you're like, I yeah, have to go. Yeah, I'm just going to Howard. Yes. You know, I'll, I'll figure out something. Absolutely. And um, You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Skylar Ashley. Let's get back to reporter Audrey Matus's interview with Dr. Saray Eaton Sangster. That was during the late 60s, uh, during the whole civil rights um, uproar and black power and mm-hmm. um, ended up uh, with a group of students at Howard that closed down the administration building, did a sit-in, all that kind of stuff. and. Uh, decided that I didn't need to go to school, um, that I needed to help the people in the community. So um, I quit after my second year mm-hmm. and got involved in with a group that started a, um, uh, a school called the Center for Black Education. Wow. Actually in the inner city, the ghettos of, D- of uh, D.C. at the time. We... Um, had an old, old um, uh, house that we took over. And we actually uh, had a lot of different programs that we presented to the community. We had educational programs. We had 
um, uh, child care programs. We had a medical program. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd go out in the community, get people to come to the center, uh, get have classes. And so I was uh, got involved in the medical center, starting up the medical center. And we'd get uh, medical students from Howard to come over and volunteer, Mm -hmm. as well as um, their uh, mentor at the time, who ended up being my mentor, um, uh, would come over and just oversee what we were doing, right? We had a doctor who had passed, and he donated all his equipment to us as far as microscopes and, and, um, you know, medical uh, beds and ophthalmoscopes and you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, we start started treating patients, you know, and um, Dr. Rue, R-O-U-X, uh, was my uh, overseer there. And he said, well, you know, Saray, um, you can't practice medicine without a license. <laughs> right. You know, even no matter how you try, I know you're doing all this stuff for the community, but so it was that impetus that sent me back to school. Okay. And completed uh, my BS, and um, I only applied to Howard and Michigan State, and got into both, and decided that I'd come back to Michigan State where my support system was, basically my mother, my father, my mm-hmm. family. And uh, so moved back at that time. And again, I had been in D.C. probably a good nine years or, or so. Okay. That's a lot of time to get radicalized. Yeah. I, I, I was radicalized for sure. Yes. You know, when King was assassinated and the whole riot stuff, I was, you know. Could we talk about that with the King assassination? Like, where were you? And, yeah, what, did you take any actions? I don't know if I want that on tape. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, it was a wild time uh, up and down Georgia Avenue uh, and, um, you know, 14th Street and, um, you know, all the main streets in D.C. And really was involved with with a lot of other people in, mm-hmm. in uh, the riots. Yeah. Um, and... Um, so yeah, it was a it's some experience. I have, if you don't mind me going down this pathway a little bit, because this is an interesting topic for me when it comes to riots. Uh-huh. Um, like for example, me and my mom always disagree on. Uh-huh. So I'm interested. Um, yeah, so the time it sounds like you were involved with the riots as a young person. You're seeing, yeah, I just want to be joining this community and mm-hmm. taking action with this collective rage. Right. It seems right. 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 Have your have your views on like black power and this idea of rioting or you know civil defense community has it defense? Changed? Yeah, has it changed over time? It's changed as I have matured. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and I don't see um, um, a reason for rioting with civil discord mm-hmm. as a outlet because um, well, a number of reasons. One is it oftentimes is in in our communities where it's happening. We're destroying businesses, we're, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're riding for our own good, so to speak. Mm. You know, we're, we're taking products, stealing TVs, whatever it might be. Um, not necessarily t- um, as a way of 
demonstrating against what injustice has happened, but more for your own personal reward. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, certainly uh, demonstrations are are definitely uh, um, something that we should continue to do. Rioting, on the other hand, it, I don't see that it leads to any any um, any progress at all. Gotcha. Yeah. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Skylar Ashley. Let's get back to reporter Audrey Matus's interview with Dr. Saray Eaton-Sangster. Okay, so you come back to Michigan, very different, East Lansing especially, very different environment than D.C., even to this day, as far even as organizing goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D.C. was such a, a eye-opener for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tell my kids, I said, I, I didn't see white people for weeks. I mean, it was just unbelievable. My mother even kept some letters that I wrote back to her about the poverty. Yeah. I didn't know what poverty was, you know, in in Lansing at that time. So this was like the 60s you went to school? I forget when you said you went to college. Excuse me? I forget when you said you went to undergrad when you first went to D.C. To Howard. What year was that? 67. 67, okay. Mm -hmm. So continue. So you brought love to your mom, yes. Right, right. About, you know... Um, how I was basically so blessed Mm -hmm. because I, you know, had shoes all different colors and clothing, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I was, um, had been given so much of my life and then to see that and then see the the dichotomy in terms of what was going on in D.C. with with, uh, the abject poverty was Mm -hmm. just such an eye-opener for me and, and, um, and that was part of the reason that the whole Center for Black Education and you know got involved in that and trying to uplift the the community. How long did that program last, Center for Black Education? Oh, um, let's see. I would say uh, probably at least five, six years. Cool. And you said you were there for one year. No, I I was there for the, the whole time. time. <laughs> what led to its ending? Well, I think um, a number of things. One certainly uh, was funding. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you had to to pay for this building we were in, and mm-hmm. not and, charging people, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And then people kind of go in their their different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, that I decided to go back to school. You know, then went on to. To medical school, moving back to Michigan. Um, um, so yeah, it, it just kind of, you know, I had some other friends who were, you know, one was in education. She decided to go get her her master's in, at Amherst and another one, mm-hmm. you know, so people kind of just, you know, you move on. moved on. Exactly. You moved on. Okay, so we're back in East Lansing. You, yeah, just left a predominantly black college. What's it like for you in these um, classrooms, spaces, as you're learning? Are you, you know, connecting with teachers? Was there a culture shock that you had to kind of re-enter yourself into? You know, into? interesting. Um, there was a fairly um, good number of African Americans in my medical school class. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, male and female. So we bonded studied together, you know, made sure everybody was doing what they had to do to, mm-hmm. to, to get through. Um, <clears throat> I, 
don't recall as far as instructors there being any um, overt um, racism or um, yeah going going through Michigan State I didn't I didn't have that cool I didn't really have that until I got into training into residency oh. that I felt as though um, you know I wasn't um, called on or uh, valued my opinion regarding a patient let's say mm -hmm. or, and I've, I had patients who who didn't want to see a black doctor right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, do you mind kind of breaking it down a little bit for like what is family medicine and what is it about the that area of study that you want to be part of or change be a bridge for mm -hmm. well family medicine is just what it says you're taking care of the entire family okay um, I did OB for a number of years, and so okay. those kids that I delivered, I, I followed them all through, you oh. know, all through their life. In fact, um, some of the kids I delivered, I ended up seeing their kids, okay? Uh, but family practice, you take care of, um, if you do deliveries, which a lot of family medicine uh, physicians nowadays don't, but... If you did do deliveries, um, you followed those kids all through their their childhood into adulthood. Wow! Uh, you you took care of their grandmothers. You took care of their mothers, their fathers. So it it really is a way of knowing the the entire family. I was at an event here recently. Uh, a previous patient of mine had turned eighty, and she commented in at her party that. Uh, something about doc, that Dr. Eaton had saved her life. but And then her son got up and said, I was also a patient of Dr. Eaton's. And then his daughter got up and said, and I was a patient of Dr. You know. Wow. And so you, you know the family. You know, you really feel a part of, um, you know, uh, of that family. And you know what they're going through. You, you know what the, um, you know, um, background is in terms of of uh, their health history mm -hmm. you know you know that if grandma had this and you you know you might have some predisposition to developing that or mm -hmm. um, uh, the son commented he said you told me if I didn't uh, get my cholesterol down or no he said you told me if I didn't get my blood pressure down that you'd be doing my eulogy or something <laughs> And we laughed about that, but uh, I don't even remember saying that to him. But uh, so anyway, fam that's what family family medicine is. That's what I said. It's taking care of, of everybody in the family. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Skylar Ashley. Let's get back to reporter Audrey Matus's interview with Dr. Saray Eaton-Sangster. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that, you got people coming to the doctor. There's always like there's um, narratives in the black community about uh, kind of fear of going to the doctor. So, were you still doing community advocacy for health in black communities while you were at Sparrow? Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I'm a member of uh, Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Okay. And I was chair of the um, Healthy Lifestyle Committee, and we did a lot of outreach in terms of, um, you know, different topics, whether or not it was mental health, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, uh, you know, we'd go into um, 
churches or or any um, community centers and stuff like that and have programming around topics that particularly affected African Americans. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. um, do you do advocacy with AARP as well? Yes. Um, AARP, I basically do the same types of things. Um, um, dementia is an area that I do with mm. AARP. I've also done um, a uh, diabetes with AAR, AARP, um, as well as uh, good other things like good form walking, and oh. um, um, you know the whole f- physical importance, the importance of physical activity in terms of health maintenance um, is something that I really you know feel strongly about. Um, mm. So we've done those kind of things, and I've done similar things with uh, with my church, uh, with our health ministry at Pilgrim Rest. Okay. Um, we do a lot of health advocacy things. Um, so yeah, um, with that, this past year, I was appointed uh, by the governor to the Protect Michigan Commission. Oh. Um, and I don't know if you're Did familiar I know about with that. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So January of 2021, um, the governor uh, developed a program called Protect Michigan for COVID. Okay. And it was was a um, program that was divided into a number of different areas, Um, senior health, um, children's health, minority health. Um, Native American health, Hispanic health, um, 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 there was 19 different work groups. Wow. And I was actually chair of the senior um, work group. And we did a lot of advocacy surrounding vaccinations because they gotcha. were just coming out early in, in uh, 21. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, and our goal was towards seniors, that particular work group we, that we had. And the group, work group was made up of individuals from um, several counties in the mid-Michigan area. Um, and within those counties, we had people who, let's say, worked in nursing homes or um, were part of um, um, AAA, um, um, so it's a little bit louder. Okay. Um, area agency on aging, which oh, is triple A. Okay. <laughs> not triple like A, the, uh, the insurance. Know, yeah, not that triple A. Um, and so um, within these counties, um, we would put on clinics. Okay. Right. And, and we also did, um, actually with AARP and and Protect Michigan Commission, we did um, uh, a phone tree, a phone call, where we called individuals to ask them if they had any questions about the vaccine. Did they know mm. where they could needed to go to get the vaccine? Those types of things. Um, so the Protect Michigan Commission was only commissioned for for a year, and so uh, my term ended in December mm-hmm. of twenty one. Uh, but some of the work actually is is still ongoing. Probably the biggest barrier 
to in terms of COVID outreach was technology. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Because oftentimes, in in most cases, um, you had to register to get a vaccine, yeah. and that registration was online. I saw that in person, seeing seniors show up. Yeah, you had to register online. They're already physically there. There, exactly. There's no appointment. Right. Right. Yeah, but um, oftentimes through through some of the area agent areas on aging AAA, I just say AAA. Yeah, that's fine. Um, they would have do walk-ins. A lot oh, of the great. churches did walk-ins. Would register you right at the at that time. Great. Uh huh. So we tried to you know get past that barrier, especially with older individuals and individuals who did not have access yes. uh, to register online. So, um, you know, at the end of that year, I think with all these various 19, I think, uh, work groups, there was a lot of work done throughout the state, um, really with a lot of concentration in the southeast area of Michigan. Okay. um, Because that seemed to be our lowest percentage-wise of individuals who were vaccinated. We ended up in the senior group, uh, six age 65 and older, we ended up with 88% of those individuals vaccinated. Oh, in the southeast side? No, no, no. Oh, just statewide. Statewide. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, that was good. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. I'm Skylar Ashley. Let's get back to reporter Audrey Matusa's interview with Dr. Saray Eaton-Sangster. Were you also the one that was like calling up these different churches and setting up these alternative sites? Like how? Yeah, through, through well, either through Protect uh, Michigan, we did that, mm-hmm. uh, where we would uh, designate a, a particular church and say, are you interested in a clinic? Gotcha. Um, and they'd say yes, of course, or, you know, and, um, and then we would get the word out. Now, oftentimes that uh, could be through Facebook or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There's going to be a clinic at um, such and such church at such and such time, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, get that word out to individuals. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you looking at, like, special maps to help you decide, like, okay, this is like a, re- a red area. We want to get this location. Well, in the African-American community, that was a big area of void in terms of how many people we were actually vaccinating percentage-wise. Okay. And so um, at least in the Ingham-Eaton County area around here, um, we primarily um, concentrated on African-American churches. Gotcha. Um, we also had clinics, and that was through Eaton County at the uh, Lansing Mall. Um uh-huh. Yeah. which also, um, you know, had a large percentage of African-Americans as well, so. That's a good location. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. I am, um, I'm going to look back at my question. Oh, that was a pretty good run. And how much time do you have today? It's um, 3.20 right now. Um, I'm good. Okay. Um... Okay, so I'm also interested in how you did advocacy in churches, because I also, this is just me on 
prejudice and also some of the reports that I've seen that there was a big um, group of people who didn't want to get vaxxed in more faith-based communities. So I was wondering if there was any, like he had to go a step further on like having specific presentations or like any face-to-face encounters you had to have to oh, yeah, we encourage had people. Webinars um, wow. and at, as again, you know, that technology issue, but um, you know, we had uh, webinars with individuals, physicians primarily who were, you know, actively, actively working uh, in the COVID arena, um, do presentations that were geared to, towards the church. Yeah. Uh huh. Zoom events where they could ask questions. Um, we did a lot of that through through uh, Protect the Michigan. Commission. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. cool. Thank you very much, Audrey. And thank you to Dr. Serene Sangster for speaking with us. That wraps things up for us here on City Pulse on the Air on 88.9 FM, The Impact. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. Until then, enjoy your Sunday, enjoy your week, and thank you for listening.